You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 1356 of the Locked on Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Roland, coming to you on a Sunday evening, November 27th. And today's episode is brought to you by Prize Picks. First time users can have a 100% instant deposit match up to $100 with promo code locked on. That's prizepicks.com, promo code locked on. And today's episode is going to be myself diving in to what became a pretty frustrating loss for the Hawks at home against the Miami Heat. Final score in this one 106 to 98. The first time all year the Hawks did not reach 100 points. That's sort of an arbitrary number, but it does tell you a little bit about the offense in this game. It was pretty rough along the way. The Hawks did leave this one by nine at the halftime break by double digits at different times throughout this one. But from the third quarter on, it was all heat and uh, certainly a lot to discuss, including what was some pretty interesting adjustments for Miami that were not matched by Atlanta. We'll talk about that at the end of the podcast as well. But generally speaking, the Hawks losing these two games in succession. If you missed it, I did a full breakdown. I'm sure not everybody was uh, excited to listen to that one. But a, of the loss on Friday to the, to the Houston Rockets in maddening fashion, this isn't as bad as that by any means. But Miami coming into your own building on equal rest. Uh, no Butler in this game, their best player by a, uh, at least by some margin, I, w- I would imagine at this point. And uh, the Hawks being in control for part of this game and then not be able to close this door. So they're, not, they're now 11 and 9 on the season. It's not a complete disaster. That's They're on pace for you know a playoff caliber run this time around, but certainly not what you wanted to see from the Hawks if you are a Hawks fan on this evening as the new week is beginning and the Hawks hit the road for a quick turnaround actually as they hit the road play on Monday in Philadelphia. So we're getting into the game now. Miami came in actually struggling a little bit. They're actually 9-11 and 11 this season. They were number one seed in the East last year, but they've had some injuries. Jimmy Butler, of course, being at the head of the list, but they've been below average offensively this year. They are always well-coached and very good defensively. That's been the case all year long, even though they're not been like, totally elite this year. They are really good at ter- creating turnovers and preventing free throws. The Hawks did a pretty good job, actually, in those spots, but it was got everything else for <laughs> in this game. Um, injury-wise, the headliner of the day, for Atlanta was Capella being out for the second straight game. Um, Nate Millen set up practice per Lauren Williams at the AJC on Saturday. The tooth was, had been bothering him for a few days before actually Friday's game even happened. He was listed as a game time decision, according to McMillan, coming into the day. I'm not sure how that would be the case for someone who's dealing with dental issues, but who knows? The Hawks are not giving a lot of information on that. Um, I am not someone that's going to be uh, poking and prodding on that particularly. I understand that's a little bit strange to have a guy miss two games with, de- with dental issues, but my general rule, especially for guys who have proven to be competitive guys who like to play and like to win is that if Capella thought he could play, he'd be out there. So I saw some criticism of him not, him not playing. I'm not going to do that. I think that obviously he would like to be out there and the Hawks want him out there. So I'm sure there's a lot of pain involved there and we'll leave it there for now. But the Hawks were better in certain ways without Capella. Obviously Friday, uh, it was a disaster without Clint. That's a kind of full stop. And I talked about that at length on the show after the Rockets game. They did better in this spot on the glass and other places defensively without Clint. But he's certainly a very, very, very valuable player. And that was uh, on full display over the last two games as he's been out. On the Miami side, uh, the Heat are always pretty ridiculous in my mind with injury reports. Uh, if you were following the playoff series last year, the Heat were listing like most of their roster on the injury report every game. That was the same in this one. The Heat, before tip-off, had 11 guys on the injury report, most of them as probable or questionable. Um, ended up with four guys out. 
uh, Jimmy Butler being the most prominent, but Duncan Robinson, Victor Oladipo, and Omar Yurtseven as well. So uh, just a little bit of a tangent there, but Miami is so, so very weird with the injury reporting, but Butler was out. The Hawks were favored though at tip off. The Hawks were four, four point favorites. They were five and a half in the morning. It kind of came down as Clint was out, et cetera. But the Hawks were, um, as I think they should have been favored in this game at home and not able to uh, hold serve and cover that number or even win in their own building. Um, as for the game itself, and as I said before, the first half was really a lot better than the second half, and the ball movement was pretty good in the first half. After the uh, issues with stagnation in the fourth quarter, in particular on Friday in Houston, the Hawks were moving the ball much better. Trey had a nice, I would say, gorgeous left-handed pass to John Collins for a dunk on the first possession of the game. A couple of catch-and-shoot threes in the early going from Collins and Hunter. Collins had a great defensive possession against Bam Adebayo, the force of turnover. Um, the Hawks weren't like making all their shots inside the arc, but they were shooting the ball from three in the early going. And I thought they did a good job defensively rotating in space defensively. It was 14-13 at the first kind of timeout situation. And the new team was like flying high on offense, but the Hawks had, a, had their biggest run of the game near the end of the first half, an 11-2 run to go from up one to up by 10 with threes from Hunter and Collins in there. I think I mentioned that a second ago as well. But Trey actually gave Collins some pretty clear encouragement after Collins made it, made that three. He's been struggling mightily for three-point range, obviously. But the Hawks, in this game, as crazy as this might, this might sound, if you saw the full box score, the Hawks were five of seven from three to start this game. Unfortunately, they were five of their next 29 <laughs> from three after that. Rotationally, there was a there was a pretty clear tweak in this game. Um, AJ Griffin was the first sub. That's pretty normal for the Hawks. But he came in for Dejounte Murray. Um, that was a notable difference. You know, at the beginning of the season, the Hawks were having Trey play the entire first quarter almost every game. And then after Trey missed that game, he uh, with the uh, injury that he had briefly. When he came back, the Hawks had him come out briefly in, in the first quarter for like two minutes per quarter, and that was been happening basically every game since then. But this time around, Trey played the whole first and the whole third, and that was back to their original rotation coming into the season. Then the other curveball was that it was Trent Forrest in the Aaron Holiday role. Um, his first minutes of the season in terms of rotation stuff for Forrest, honestly, I thought he played quite well. Um, obviously, there's pre it's pretty low-ceiling play. Trent Forrest is not exactly the guy that's going to do a ton for you on offense. But I will say I didn't have a problem with this at all and said as much in the moment. Uh, part of that is Aaron Holiday has been struggling mightily. Nate did say he's been giving them uh, giving them some good, some good stuff. Uh, you know, I think Aaron has had some nice moments this season, but for the most part, the last few games have been pretty ugly. I would probably like to see Justin Holiday over Trent Forrest, but I do understand this. And I think that for the most part, people have not seen a, a lot of Trent Forrest, but he was a rotation guy for the Jazz for two years. He played, he's played in 90 games in the NBA. He has been a, uh, a pretty rock solid defender, not a shooter by any means. If you've not watched him play, that's his one huge drawback, but he is a guy who can handle the ball for you and play defense. And in this game, he made good decisions. He played good defense. And that was actually a, a tweak that I think actually worked. We'll see if that continues. Nate was asked about it after the game, kind of just said they wanted to give it a, they wanted to give it a shot. And uh, I was definitely uh, in the mix with all the jokes flying about the experimentation that's been happening because they've been famously said that they're not going to be experimenting this year. But I thought Forrest gave him good minutes in this game. Um, the only, only thing I'll mention rotationally in the entire game really is that they never played John Collins at center. I don't love that. I think that especially without Capella, um, when the choices are Collins at center or Kaminsky, I would choose Collins at center. I'm not, I've not been advocating for Collins is playing a lot of center this year. They've been doing that less and less, which I understand when you have two really good centers, I do understand that, um, that impetus, but I think with Kaminsky not being as prominent, I would have gone to a little bit more small ball. They finally did it at the very, very, very end when they were playing totally scramble ball in the final two minutes, but that's not, doesn't really count in terms of the actual deployment in this spot. The Hawks led by like six to 10 points for the most, for the most part for a long stretch, basically the entirety of the last like 
quarter and a half of the first half. They were up by like five, five to ten points, something like that. They didn't shoot well from two-point range in the first quarter. They hit five, they hit five threes, uh, trailed 11 in the, in the quarter, and they took advantage of some of the zone stuff from the heat. But that uh, definitely stopped after the halftime break. Um, defensively, the Hawks did a, did a good job, I thought, before halftime as well. There was a nice stretch early in the second quarter after they had given, given up most of the lead after the first few minutes with that Kaminsky-led, Murray-led uh, second unit. Um, they, they had a 7-0 run with A.J. Griffin hitting two jump shots and then Murray getting into the line, sorry, getting, to, getting in, into a layup in transition to go uh, back up by eight. The three actually was set up by Forrest, dri- driving with decisiveness, kicking out to Griffin, who made the job, who made the shot. AJ had a tough night for him shooting wise. It was three of 13, but he made two, I think, I think maybe his first two jump shots of the game. Um, and he, by the way, AJ has a green light and that's okay with me. Obviously he didn't shoot well in this game, three of 13, but um, people kind of noticed that, including me. As AJ was kind of hoisting, I think he took seven shots in the first eight minutes that he played. I'm okay with that. Get him up. There weren't none of them were, were bad shots. I think he's taken maybe one or two bad shots this entire season. For the most part, like if he's open, let it fly, young man. Go ahead and fire it up. Um, it got a little bit loose defensively at times late in the first half. There was a huge follow dunk actually by, by a Kong after he missed by Trey. He was a little bit more involved after he didn't take a shot at all on Friday, but uh, it's definitely another quiet, I would say, suboptimal game for Kongwu. On the whole, they were up by 11 at the end of the, at the end of the first half, and they got down to two. Sorry, got, got, got trimmed down by two to nine at the halftime break. But again, they were up nine to half, pretty solid across the board. Good defense, good offensive numbers. They had 15 assists in the first half. That is more than the entire Houston game. Unfortunately, the Hawks ended the game with only 24, so they kind of re- regressed a little bit in the second half. They shot about they shot it better from three. They only had five turnovers. They had good balance. They had five guys with at least eight points. So much, much different than it was on Friday with the two-man show in the backcourt. And then defensively, they held the Heat to only a point per possession in the first half. That's very solid. Shooting was just manageable for the Heat. They forced seven turnovers. They did a great job on the glass, which is again was a huge point of emphasis for me anyway, coming into the night without Capella. They did a good job on that, really the entire game, honestly. And they only had nine free throw attempts allowed in that first half as well. Obviously, I have foreshadowed that the second half was much worse than the first. We'll dive into all of what transpired there. Some quotes from Nate McMillan that I will play for you on the show as well. Some takeaways from the game and a quick preview of Monday's game in Philadelphia. But first, a word from our sponsors on the show today. Today's show is brought to you by Turo, and Turo is the world's largest car-sharing marketplace. With Turo, you can book any car you want, wherever you want it, from a large community of local hosts and browse a huge selection of vehicles from just about any occasion or budget across the U.S., the U.K., Canada, and coming soon to Australia. Book a spacious SUV or minivan for a family road trip or get a classic car or a luxury car for a special event or a birthday or a holiday. And you can also find affordable economy cars if you're on a budget and just need to get from point A to point B when it's easy and convenient for you. Test drive a new electric vehicle you had your eye on for a while to see how it fits in your everyday life. And many hosts for Turo can also deliver the car right to you. Yes, delivered right to you. Every trip is backed by liability insurance. Terms, conditions, and exclusions apply. Forget boring rental cars and find your drive at Turo.com. All right, and the second half was not pretty for Atlanta on the whole. In fact, the score overall kind of tells some of the story. It was 55 to 38 after halftime, and a lot of the damage happened right away. It was a 16-4 to run by the Heat to go from, uh, yeah, but basically, I don't know. It was, <laughs> that erased the deficit, let's just say. Um, the Heat took and made five free throws in the early going, and they seemed like Miami was getting quicker into everything as well. The Hawks had one, were 105 from the floor with two turnovers and not really a lot of flow in the offense in the early going either. 
And I thought that it was very obvious to me that there were some adjustments being made by the Heat. They were kind of spamming the same sets on offense with great success. There was a great lob play. They were running just over and over again without adjustment from the Hawks. That is maddening to watch as a consumer of basketball, that a team just would never ever come out of that. I know my friend Glenn Willis, who I often say on the podcast and on the show many times, was openly frustrated by that because it was just not a tweak made there by the Hawks. It was bizarre, actually, to see the same play working over and over again for Miami. I always get into the bonus pretty quickly on offense, but that was kind of the only bright spot for most of the third quarter. They were down by five by the middle of the quarter with a timeout, and the Heat had 26 points in the first seven and a half minutes of the quarter. Now, the whole game numbers look totally fine for Atlanta. We'll get into that later on in the show with some broad takeaways from the night, but that stretch of seven or eight minutes in the third quarter was just deeply bad defensively for Atlanta. Um, the Heat were 7-7 uh, seven seven at the free throw line in that stretch, and 9-12 on the floor, one turnover. They were in easy looks over and over again. I thought DeJounte Murray had a particularly rough stretch defensively. He wasn't the only one by any means, but he usually you want to see him be a positive. He was not a positive in that run. Trey was also struggling as well at the point of attack. They were down by 7 and then also went back to Frank Kaminsky once again. Um, I will say Kaminsky made two threes, so that was uh, kind of all you can ask him to do. But um, even with making two threes, Kaminsky was a pretty strong negative in that stretch defensively on the glass. Etc. Missed a layup that was point blank in, in the middle of that. So that's part of it. Uh, Trey did have a, a 13, 13 assists at that point, which matched the season high. Ended up that he ended up setting a new, a new season high in this game, but that was uh, all through basically the body of three quarters. And it was a really, really bad quarter in general for the Hawks. It was 34 to 21. That tells the story. It could have been even worse than that. Miami kind of cooled off, but for the for that quarter, they had 11 assists in a quarter. They were 60% from the floor. And again, just kind of spamming the same sets and the same actions that will definitely frustrate you in a hurry. Um, on the Hawks side, the shooting was really rough. The The team was six of 20 from the floor. That's really tough. And how about this? John Collins was four or five. The rest of the team was 215. So uh, it was uh, definitely not great on either end of the floor in the third quarter. And while the fourth quarter wasn't quite as bad on, def on defense, defense actually, I thought it was actually pretty solid defensively in the fourth quarter. The offense just, again, for the second straight night, had nothing happening in the fourth quarter. Uh, and actually a nice bucket by Trent Forrest on a high arcing teardrop kind of floater to get the lead down to three for Miami. But then that was the last bucket the Hawks had for like almost four minutes. There was a really bad sequence that had Kaminsky turnover and a layup in transition. Nick called timeout. Um, that was a rough stretch for Kaminsky again. That timeout didn't really help either because then after that, they went empty on three trips in a row offensively with a shot clock violation. And then a Kongu got blocked by Caleb Barton at the rim. Uh, and then Miami hit back-to-back -back threes and it was a 10-0 run by the heat. So after that Trent Forrest floater, 10 straight from Miami. And that really is when the game ended. Now the Hawks had a chance after that. I, I don't, I don't want to mislead you. The Hawks were still in the game, but if there was a stretch of the entire game to circle, that would have been it, that 10 0 run. And by the way, it was a 46 to 24 extended stretch for Miami. That is uh, how you lose games in the second half of a contest. Uh, fortunately, Miami missed some shots, but it would almost might have been worse, honestly. But it was down to they were down 414 at one point. It was a nice putback done by Collins, but that was kind of it on that. They got it down to nine with 422 to go. And after a timeout, they were in the game at that point for sure. Bam had a genuinely amazing dunk that I want to at least say something about. That was an awesome play by Bam. And he was really good in this game, by the way. Uh, you know, Bam is not always the most assertive guy, but he was taking it to the Hawks. Uh, 32 points for Adebayo. He was the best player on the floor in the game, I thought. Anyway. Trey missed a floater. He actually had a layup to go up, up, up by 13. And I flagged this because Max Strews had a literally a wide open layup that he missed. And if the Hawks had won this game, which they obviously did not do, that would have been a huge point to circle. Um, but the Hawks had a chance to get down to down to seven at one point because Murray had a three-point play, plus a technical foul on Kyle Lowry. 
and a chance to get it down there. Uh, Murray missed the free throw, but still down by only eight. It was back and forth, back and forth. It was a really bad hero ball, like 30-footer from Trey, down by eight. And it looked like it were pretty much going to be it when, Mur- when Lowry hit a free throw on the floor. That called it timeout. But on replay, during the stoppage, there was, it was just an official review. And they called Lowry out of bounds. So it went from down by 13, in theory, to down by 10. So the door was still kind of open. And the Hawks scored right away. Collins scored to get down to eight. There was some life there. And they finally went to Collins at, at center, trying to cut, catch up and play more offensive. They used uh, AJ as the spacer in that stretch. And they had the ball three different times down by eight in the final two minutes. Now, obviously, you're a huge underdog at that point. So I'm not saying they, they were you know, supposed to win or anything like that. But they went 0 for 3 in those possessions. Griffin missed two jumpers. Murray took a really bad three-pointer. And that was the end of that. So anyway, I have plenty of stuff to kind of share with you about all of what transpired in the second half. We'll start here. I'm actually going to play the audio for you from Nate McMillan. The first question he got in the post game from Lauren Jabara of Valley Sports Southeast was about the offensive struggles and what Miami did defensively in the second half. And this is what Nate had to say about that. I mean, they, they did what they normally do. They, they changed their defense. Uh, you know, that's the way they've been playing. Uh, and, and what we have to do is our guards got to make sure that we get down and we get organized and get to our spots and run our sets. Uh, I thought they caught us uh, a couple of times uh, without a balanced floor. And uh, just that zone became a stop sign. It can't become a stop sign. Uh, I thought we did a pretty good job uh, in the first half attacking attack the gaps, uh, make two play you, uh, you know, you play from inside out. And uh, the second half, it became a stop sign. And we're trying to run maybe a zone offense or uh, we just wasn't aggressive enough. You got to be aggressive against that. Uh, our man uh, and our zone sets uh, will work against that. Not really a satisfying answer, but it's also true. You know, Miami did a good job defensively. They do what they they do what they do in a lot of ways. They're really well coached. Spolstra against Nate has been a mismatch for a long time. I am not someone, uh, just broadly speaking, that comes on this podcast or on Twitter all the time and just talks about someone being out coached. In fact, I think that's something I rarely ever say uh, directly in that way. I thought Nate got pretty well worked in the second half of this game by Spolstra with the better roster available. The Hawks did in this game. Now Nate has struggled against Spo in the past. The playoff series was not all on Nate by any means. You know, Trey was really bad, et cetera. And the Heat were just better, but Nate did not have a lot of adjustments in that series. Dating back to Indiana, they, he had trouble against Miami too. So maybe it's just a matchup thing, but um, it was tough to watch in some respects. And that's what he had to say. I want to at least give you the opportunity to hear what he had to say from the horse's mouth, but the offensive rating for the game was really gross and it was worse in the second half. So they had a 98 offensive rating against the Jimmy Butlerless Heat. So Miami's personnel is fine defensively. Bam's really good, but they're still without Jimmy. They're playing guys who are gettable on defense. Um, Miami is good defensively, even still, but that's a really bad number against anyone, really. Um, they shot 31% from the floor and three of 19 from three after halftime. And by the way, Frank Kaminsky was two of two from three. So everybody else was one of 17. That is really tough. And uh, the number one craziest stat of the night, the Hawks had a 79.2 offensive rating after halftime. For those of you who may not know that number necessarily out of out of the air, the Hawks are usually in the 110 to 115 range. The league average is like well over 100. So to have 79 points per hundred possessions is really, really, really bad. And that happened for the Hawks at home in a game they needed to win. Um, for the game, the numbers were better, but it was still not good. Um, 10, 10 36 from three, 40 percent from the floor. They did have 12 turnovers in the game. That's a totally fine number. In fact, it's, pretty, it's a really good number. They won the glass, 
Now, it's kind of crazy because if you ask me before the game started, all right, the Hawks win the glass and they have 12 turnovers in the game and they shoot 18 of 19 at the line and they hold Miami to 17 of 19 at the line. That's a pretty good baseline for the Hawks having some success in the game, especially without Clint. Those being the number one and number two probably uh, worry areas defensively is the glass and free throws. But um, everything else was bad, including the offense. So there you go. Um, Defensively. Now, they had a 108 defensive rating in the game. And that's actually good for the Hawks. That's above their average, uh, better than their average, I should say. And Miami, you know, Sands Butler, they're not fantastic on offense by any means. But um, if you offered me that pregame and just said, all right, on behalf of the Hawks, you can have a 108 defensive rating against the Heat in this game. Would you would you take that now or play out the game? I would say, yes, please sign me up. And the Hawks did that and then lost the game. So it's a really solid number. But the first half and second half were different stories. I gave, I gave the stats earlier about the first half. But in the second half, the Hawks had a 114.6 defensive rating. Now, that's pretty bad. Now, in the third quarter, which we talked about before, about the Heat spamming over and over again the same play, the Heat had a 126 offensive rating in the third quarter. That is very bad. I'm actually going to play one more clip now You from, from Nate. It's actually a, a shorter one, but he was asked about the third quarter and the defense, and this is what they had to say about that stretch. Well, they heard us with the same play. Uh, you know, we, we didn't cover that play properly, and uh, we didn't make adjustments uh, to the same play. You know, he, I think they got maybe, maybe six, eight points off of the lob. Uh, and uh, that was poor execution on the defensive end for So I'm sure people will kind of bump on this as, as I kind of did. Like, it's not really all about execution when the same play is happening. Uh, there needs to be a tweak on some, on some level. I'm not an X's and, o, X's and O's expert on the level of Glenn or people that have coached at the highest levels, but uh, I even noticed this in real time, even before watching it again, that the Hawks just didn't change anything. It was just bad. Per- it was bad execution, yes. It was also a bad scheme, and uh, that's kind of a maddening answer as a result of that. But after halftime, the Heat had 16 assists and they shot 54% from the floor. And uh, the Hawks made it easy on them in the second half. Now, the fourth quarter was better. I will say that. The fourth quarter was but kind of back to where it was in the first half. But the Hawks could not afford to have a, a full quarter like they did in the third, where it was very easy on Miami defensively. Um, they were only league average in terms of getting up shooting. That's totally fine. They did well in the glass again. It wasn't quite enough. But And I think, generally speaking, I want to be clear about this, I think the offense was the bigger issue in this game. And the Hawks did play well defensively for two and a half, maybe even three quarters. And again, that 108 defensive rating is enough most of the time. But the third quarter was particularly bad defensively. And then the offense was just honestly horrible for, I don't know, the last two and a half quarters or so. Um, once the Hawks got the lead up, 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 up 10 mid-second quarter, it was pretty much downhill from there. The It was a stark contrast. We'll get into this in a second with the individual players. But the young Murray combination, of, they went 9 of 32 from the floor and 3 of 16 from 3. Um, yeah, not, not a whole lot going on there. The only bright spot in terms of like changes offensively from Friday was the integration of John Collins and a little bit more of a Kongwu. But everything else was pretty not – you know, pretty stagnant and pretty not necessarily appealing, especially after the first half was uh, mildly better against Miami zone. So anyway, we'll leave it there for now and we'll get into everything else about the individual players. But uh, last thought here, again, I don't, I don't want to pile on and I'm, I'm not going to go into, this is not a visual podcast in that way. I can't really give you all the breakdowns in clip form, but I thought that the Hawks had a coaching disadvantage in the second half. And I don't, I don't say that lightly, but, uh, and by the way, Eric Spolter is awesome. So he's probably a top three or four coach in the league. There's nothing that doesn't mean Nate's the worst coach in the world, but he had a rough second half. And I think the Hawks did it uh, in general, have a rough second half. And uh, the scoreboard being 53 to 38 kind of uh, lays that out 
in stark contrast. All right, before we get to the individual players and a little bit of stuff for Monday's game against Philadelphia, a word from our sponsors on the show. Today's show is brought to you by Prize Picks. If you're looking for a daily fantasy option this year in the NBA or anything else, check out the award-winning app at Prize Picks. Prize Picks is daily fantasy made easy. I love it, and I know that you will too. It's so easy to use. I can vouch for that. I've been playing on Prize Picks for quite some time across sports, including in the NBA. I'm really enjoying the daily grind, going through all the numbers. All you have to do is pick two to six players and choose whether they'll have more or less than a certain number of points, assists, rebounds, or any other stat you can think of. At Prize Picks, went up to 25 times the money on any entry that you actually do. It's just you against the projections. And Prize Picks offers numbers on any sport you can think of, and that includes the NBA and college basketball, WNBA, NFL, college football, MLB, NHL, PGA, soccer. They have esports, NASCAR, tennis, MMA, boxing, cricket, and much more. An entry can be done in just a minute or less. It's that easy and that fast. And Prize Picks also has safe and fast withdrawals that are operating as well in more than 30 states. That includes Georgia as well as they are in Canada. Download the Price Picks app or go to pricepicks.com. Sign up and play daily fantasy sports right now. And first-time users can have 100% instant deposit match up to $100 with promo code LOCKEDON. Don't forget to enter that promo code LOCKEDON and sign up for the instant deposit match up to $100. Check it out now at Price Picks. All right, and we'll dive into the players now, as we always do on the show. Uh, only nine main rotation tonight for the Hawks without Capella. Uh, neither Holiday appeared, nor neither did Vic, Vic Krejci, as he uh, really ever does. Um, Trent Forrest got the bump up to the rotation in place of the Holidays. I thought he played quite well, honestly. Um, I said it before, but if you're not hugely familiar with Trent Forrest's game, he's not a shooter, and that's the big thing, the big question with him, and that's why he was available in the offseason for a two-way contract, but he has been in, in the NBA before, and I thought that it was very he was very under control in this game. He plays very good defense. I, uh, I liked him dating back to college at Florida State, but one of one from the floor, it was a two-point attempt. It was that nice floater. Didn't take a three, but had two assists, no turnovers, played rock-solid defense. They were plus one with him on the court, um, and honestly, like, it's a a little bit of an easier role. Like he's going to be super low usage on offense, which is not great necessarily, but he was decisive with the ball. And I think that uh, given what they asked him to do, he did a very good job. It's a one game sample size. I don't know if they'll go back to him again on Monday, but we will see how they do that. And I would not bother me at all. I thought he was pretty good in this game. Jalen Johnson was pretty quiet. I actually didn't take a shot in this game in 11 minutes, had five rebounds, did have an assist, and the grab-and-go ability is very intriguing for Jalen. He was minus four in his minutes, just kind of quiet. I don't think he was, like, bad, just didn't do a whole lot today in the game. Uh, and then Frank Kaminsky, I said it once, but he made two threes in that second-half stretch and was actually still a negative. I know he was plus three in the game. Uh, I think that's probably a little bit of noise. If you watch this one, he didn't really give them a lot. He did have four, four defensive rebounds, but, it, again, if you watched him, I think three of them literally fell in his lap. Um, so – I'm not trying to pick on Frank. He's not been very good this season, and I think the Hawks obviously won't be playing him a whole lot. He has not been playing really at all when Capella or Kongwu, uh, Capella and Kongwu are both healthy, I should say. But I would have liked to seen the Hawks go with the Collins-Johnson front court in those second half minutes without, without um, Kongwu on the court. Anyway, we'll leave it there for now, but uh, it's definitely kind of what it is with Kaminsky. And then AJ Griffin. Uh, AJ didn't have his best shooting game. Uh, he was three of 13 from the floor and two of nine from three. So one of four on twos. He's, you know, he's due for one of these every once in a while. He's not going to make every shot he takes. He did have uh, two rebounds, didn't have any assists. He's definitely was shot happy, but that was totally fine with me. Defensively, he was, you know, kind of what he is below average, but not, not disastrous. Um, he'll have better nights, and I'm not worried about that whatsoever. Um, to the starters, Akongwu has been pretty shaky the last couple of games. And honestly, I don't say this to be, I think I'm very high on Akongwu still, but he has not um, stood out in this kind of quote unquote mini audition as the starting center. Um, obviously a tough matchup 
against Houston in some ways because that's, they, they kind of exploited his biggest weakness, which is rebounding. But even in this game, he didn't really have that much juice there either. And this is a better matchup for him against a team in Miami does not play very big much at all. They play pretty small all the time, unless, unless it's, unless it's uh, Devin and, and Bam together, which is very rare at this stage. But Aneka was not particularly good. He was minus 13 in the game. That was probably uh, indicative. He did take seven shots, three of seven from the floor. One defensive rebound is not great for him. Did have two blocks and a steal and a couple of nice highlight plays, one big dunk. But I think that uh, you would have wanted to see a little bit more from him at this point. It's not be selling my stock on a Kongu, I still believe. But it's not like he's banging down the door of like playing Capella less. Capella has been leaps and bounds better than Kongu this year. And not just because of these last two games, but that was the case before. It's still the case now. And I know eventually, I've said this many times, eventually the Hawks are going to have to choose one of the two paths because you just cannot take a guy at number six overall and have him be a pure backup center. But um, they have to choose something in the near future. And I don't think that's going to be like imminent. But um, he, he was not necessarily uh, standing at the top of the mountain saying, I have to be a starting center now based on this kind of performances the last couple of days. And again, I don't want to overreact. It's a very small sample size. But even when he's been a backup this year, he's not been like jumping off the screen except for the Bucks game where he was really awesome against Giannis. That was definitely a nice highlight point. But it's been a kind of a so-so year overall for Kongu. Uh, Hunter was okay. 18 points on 62 possessions, not necessarily super efficient. Took a few too many, like the pull up challenging long twos for my liking in this game. Um, did have two assists, two steals. I think defensively, he's been pretty good this year, honestly. Um, and I think that was a couple nice moments um, on that end of the floor tonight again. But offensively, yeah, kind of so so. He was fine generally. Um, Collins was really good. In this one, it's good to see him being more involved in the offense. Good matchup for him against Miami in some ways, but 23 points and 14 assists, uh, 14 rebounds, I should say. Led the team in both categories by a lot uh, on rebounding in a way and just one over Trey in scoring, but um, sort of a vintage throw, more of a throwback Collins effort. Still had a lot of pick and roll usage, but they were definitely targeting him more on the interior against mismatches like he was posting up Max Struess. That's probably a good advantage for him to have not going to change your life and the way he played in this game, but he did make one three, but missed his last three. So he's still struggling with his jump shot, but he was 10 of 13 on twos. And it's a reminder that Collins is still very good at shooting around the rim. He's one of the best touch guys in the league. And he's still shooting, I think 60 plus percent from two coming into the season, coming into the night, I should say. So for all of the talk about his three point shooting, which has been, very bad. He's got he's, he's got to have to make shots. He's still really efficient around the rim, which is helpful. And then defensively, he was good as well. Um, the backcourt, as mentioned before, was not their best effort. DeJounte, after the breakout kind of uh, shooting game on Friday, kind of went backwards a little bit in this one. He was three of eight on twos and two of eight on threes. Only got the line for one of two. Uh, only two assists either for DeJounte. It's pretty, a pretty low number for him. Uh, he was not particularly good on offense or defense in this game. Definitely a below average performance from him across the board. And then Trey got to the line 13 times, made all 13. That's helpful for your uh, efficiency. Also 14 assists and three turnovers. Also a good ratio for him overall, but didn't have his shooting um, going in this game. He was three of eight on twos and one of eight on threes. So even with 13 and 13 at the line, he was still inefficient with his overall output. And then defensively, it was kind of a mess. He was better than DeJounte was, but uh, not the best night for either guard in this game. So from here, the Hawks are, uh, you know, a little bit floundering in the wilderness at 11 and nine. They're not in a bad position. Uh, they're still seven and four at home, taking care of business there, largely speaking. And, you know, they're on pace for through 20 games, you know, 45 wins. That's below where I thought they were going to be, but that's not like a full on disaster mode. It could get ugly if they don't start winning quickly. Um, they have to a challenging game on Monday that we'll talk about in a second. And then they go to, they go to Orlando on Wednesday, but uh, yeah, definitely a hiccup over the weekend. Not what the doctor ordered in terms of not only Owen two, but the way they lost these two games. Friday was an embarrassing collapse. And then tonight, a game that they should have won in my mind. 
The Hawks were favored for a reason. They were the better team on paper. They had a better roster available. Even without Capella, I think the Hawks were still more talented than the available Heat without Butler and Duncan Robinson. So, and you're playing home. So all that said, not, not, a, not a total disaster loss, but one that's certainly frustrating to watch after the way the first half played out. From here, it's a back-to-back for the Hawks. So hopefully you are ready to watch some more basketball in a hurry. It's uh, they, they play on the road against Philadelphia. It's a 7 p.m. start, so an early tip-off, not quite as early as it was on Sunday. It's also an NBA TV game, so if you're out of market and want to watch that game on that on that platform, you definitely can. Uh, Philly had to play tonight in Orlando, so no advantage for Philadelphia travel-wise. Actually, the, Haw- the Hawks actually have to, have to travel shorter distance than the Sixers do, but the uh, Sixers went on the road to Orlando and beat the Magic by 30 points without Embiid, Harden, or Maxi. That's an interesting result. I didn't watch any of that game. I was, I was at the Hawks game, but uh, that's definitely weird. Um, we'll see if any of those guys are back for Philadelphia, but uh, that's, my, that's Philadelphia's best three players. Um, we'll see about Capella as well. That's a game that the Hawks certainly can win. Um, normally, second out of a back-to-back with travel is a huge hole to dig, but because Philadelphia had to travel as well, the Hawks have played the Sixers pretty well in the recent past, dating back to even 2020 and 2021. So it's a winnable game. It'd be nice to sort of write the ship with that one. And then the Hawks have a day off on Tuesday before traveling to Orlando on Friday. So We'll have full coverage as we always do on the podcast. I'm also writing a little bit more on the show. Uh, sorry, not, not on the show. I'm, I'm writing a little bit more on a Patreon that I have launched, patreon.com slash btroll if you want some written content from me. But I definitely encourage you as the biggest thing to follow the show and subscribe to the show across platforms, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, YouTube on the video side. Also, please leave ratings and reviews. If you are still on Twitter, check me out at BT Roland. Follow the show on Twitter at Locked on Hawks. Spread the word. I really do appreciate all the support always from the diehards and the more casual fans. Bring them, bring them all on. Come one, come all. I really do appreciate all the support on the podcast. And we'll see you guys after the game on Monday.